This is First Nature on the Rise Men Podcast. Good day to you, Rising Man family. This is your host, Sean Berry, bringing you another installation of First Nature right here on the Rising Man podcast. Hey, um, I'm super stoked to drop a conversation on you that I had with my good friend, Sarah McCracken. Sarah's many things, but we're going to listen in today from the perspective of her being a nature-connected rite of passage guide. Um, she guides with the Connor Clan, which is uh, which, which my my formative community that I'm still a part of, uh, they took me out to do my first rite of passage where I claimed my adulthood way back in 1998, and then I got trained up and learned how to guide and have been guiding with them for almost 20 years. But yeah, Sarah too kind of got the bug. Um, she trained up to guide with Condor, and now she's one of our women guides. Um, so I'm really, uh, it, was, it was great to catch her today for a little while and sit down and talk with her about nature connection and what does it mean and how nature has just been a really formative force in her life from the time she was a little girl up, up until the present day. And uh, so hold on to your hats for that. Um, but just before you drop into there, I do want to pump up a few of the programs going on at Rising Man. And um, the first one I want to talk about is Inferno. Um, so listen up, guys. It's the beginning of the year, you know, and usually we kind of come into the beginning of the year with lots of big plans. We're all lit up about how we're going to you know, knock it dead this year. And part of the course, you get through that first couple of weeks, maybe a month in and you start struggling. You know, the, the habits, the behaviors, the fears, um, the stories, all the things that uh, tripped us up last year are starting to trip us up already again this year. So what are you going to do? Well, I'll tell you what, sign up for Inferno. Uh, Inferno might just be the program for you if you are really determined to break through your own glass ceiling with your, your hopes, your dreams, you know, whatever it is. Are you, are you trying to further your career? Are you trying to develop yourself more as a man? Are you trying to impact and, you know, care for your relationships more? Uh, are you trying to develop and clarify your, your vision of your whole life? Like, what are you up to? And uh, if you're really feeling that burning in your heart to, to really claim it this year and to really get on track and start expressing as that man, uh, I guarantee you Inferno is going to really help catalyze that. And, and, um, and the main reason is because you're going to be in it with 19 other men who are dedicated and committed passionately to that same breakthrough. So I know for me, I always get stuck because often I don't know how to ask for the help or I don't recognize the help that's around me or people don't know how to help me. You know, and so we can kind of like spin our tires and go around in circles for a while till we, you know, figure out the right thing. Um, so hopefully your ears are pricking up right now because you're hearing the right thing, right? This is um, this is a powerful circle. It's only 20 guys, and it's a 12-week program starting on February 15th. So you know, limited spaces. We like to keep that program nice and tight so men really have the time and space to breathe into the connection and the brotherhood and the uh, the camaraderie that really comes from having a, a tight-knit group. So uh, if you're ready to make an, you know, if you're ready to make a massive impact in your life and really have the life that you've only been dreaming about, um, this is the year. This is the year. And this is a great time to jump in. So if you go to risingman.org backslash inferno and register, you know, if you're within one of those first 20 guys, um, guess what? Put in the code GAMETIME1000 and you'll get a $1,000 discount off the program. It's a really beautiful opportunity. Okay, well, without any further ado, 
Let's uh, listen in to uh, what Sarah and I got into, and I will see you on the other side. Sarah, what's your what's your definition of introduction? That's such a good question. <laughs> what is my definition? Yeah, for you. Like, yeah, right. Like, what do I? Or when you tell people? Um, well, I think you know, I would say that it has to do with, um, like being having a certain kind of awareness, right? And um, and that when you're out in nature that it's not just about like a goal, you know, but it's really about paying attention and noticing what's going on both for you and outside of you and being really um, connected to your sensory experience. So <clears throat> yeah, I'm definitely one of those people who stops a million times when I'm on a hike and <laughs> checks out all the small things, right? Or, or the big things, depending on what they are, but, um, and, and you know gets excited by the little things and then i think another piece of it is the sense of wonder mm. like so having sort of that idea of like questions and wonder and and excitement and just like awe of what is happening in nature uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah. do you feel like on a just on a I don't know, the spiritual level, the invisible level, like whatever level that is to you, there is some kind of connection or resonance in that world as well. Because I feel like what you just shared was a pretty kind of tangible, physical, right. you know, sensory world. But mm -hmm. then there's kind of this up and down right. Right. axis of... Yes, I definitely feel like there is a, yeah, like a spiritual connection for me personally. Um, I feel like it, it's like a... In some ways, it's like a soul filling, filling experience, you know, and, and I feel, yeah, connected to both like an ancient feeling and also like a present moment feeling. So it has all that, all those aspects to it for me. And, and I feel like, yeah, really, you know, from a Buddhist, like a Buddhist would say, you know, how do you get into the now? How do you get into the present moment? And for me, that's the place, you know, when I'm, when I'm in nature that's the easiest place for me to access mm. present moment mm. kind of experience and then from a spiritual perspective you know I've um been involved with like women's spirituality earth-based spirituality um since I was in my early 20s and doing a lot of ritual and a lot of um nature connection in that way and it was very much I mean that and it coming out of what someone might call Wiccan. I mean, that's not really what we called it, but it was more just like an earth-based spirituality in the sense of like honoring the four directions, honoring the four elements, um, earth, water, fire, and air, and really thinking about the earth as a living being, you know, and, and our connection to it. And then also looking at like the different goddesses and what they represent in all ancient cultures and and how they represent a different element of the earth you know like yeah. a, a season or a time or a or an experience you know of that that whether it be like birth or death or you know these different things and so that 
was really in many ways the beginning of sort of like the spiritual and the physical combining. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow, you just gave me like three things to talk about. Um, so let's go back to, you said um, presence and past. Mm -hmm. You didn't mention future, and I'm curious, like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what is the, uh, you know, what's what's in that? Right. The idea. Right. I mean, I'm the same way. When I go out, I'm usually trying to get away from thinking about the future, <laughs> right, you know? Right, right. Just getting into nature and just getting present. Trying to present. be the present moment. Yeah, yeah the sensory absolutely. Input and just, you know, being yeah. aware of what's around me. But um, so, I don't know, it's just bringing up curiosity for me, too. Like, what is it about this aspect of the present that... Um, doesn't really come out or come up so much so strongly when we're out in nature, mm -hmm. but our past does. Or, mm -hmm. You know, just curious about what you think about that. Right, those like those three elements. Well, I think you know, I mean, because I take kids out into nature, I there's the future right there. You know, like I that's my connection mm. to the future. Right, is like I'm connecting these small people mm. to the land and to the things that are in the land and on the land and letting them explore the land. And the, they are really represent the future. You know, they they will bring in this energy of of what's coming next. You right, know? right. And so I see that. And then I also um, think about like when I think about like just what happened. You know, we just have this massive. I mean, people are calling it a natural disaster. I don't know mm. if I would call it that, but <laughs> <laughs> a, quite a phenomena. You know, yeah. a definitely natural phenomena. You know, it's massive river changing and flooding and different things. And um, I just think that, like, as I've been thinking about that and that happening, about like, okay, so how does this connect into our future, and how do we how do we grapple with this these massive changes that are going on, which I remember noticing in the outline, the piece about climate change, you know, and, and thinking about that as like, how do we navigate that? And, and how do we help ourselves be more resilient? You know, how do we become resilient as humans in this landscape and in this change, this radical changing time that we're in? And so that's definitely been on my mind. And I, and I keep coming back to teaching about the cycles of life and the cycles of nature and the cycles of things is really going to help us be more resilient, you mm -hmm. know? And, and to know we can't count 100% count on it being what we consider normal, but to see the river change like it just did, it's like awe-inspiring in this way that's like, wow, like, this is what rivers do, uh -huh. right? And to see it like so radical and and um and just the the feeling of like everything is always changing, mm -hmm. you know, and that's what we can count on, you know, everything's always changing. And even the trees, even though they seem like they're not changing, they are, right? You know, and the mountains and the whole thing. I mean, all things are changing all the time and so it kind of gives me both hope, you know, in that sense of like just relying on that element of nature that is change, you know, mm -hmm. and and gives me this sense of like there is something. I mean, I guess it also it, it, it does that thing of like it, it removes it from so being so personal, you know. And uh, I remember years ago I was in Thailand when I was in my early 20s. And I was living on this deserted beach with two other women. We were lucky to 
have this spot. And I mean, literally, it's like your dream come true, you know, your tropical dream come true. We had three, I, I guess it was about two and a half months on this deserted beach. This is one of you, I think you were telling me this one time, you guys had to hike out into it, mm -hmm. and then you had to go, you know, like boats around to get food and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. And to get so, water, say that again. too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you either had to hike up the hill to get to it and over it, or yeah, or the tide would be so high, you'd have to get a boat, or you could hike through the beach when the tide was lower, wow. you know. But at the super low tide, you could walk all the way there. Wow. Yeah, and some, so sometimes people would come, but it was pretty rare. Um, but I just remember this one night, I, or I can't remember, it was night or day, actually, because I was in the ocean a lot. But I was out in the ocean, and I was feeling this, like, kind of this like this bigness, but also this feeling of the smallness of who I am in relationship to the planet. And um, I was out there in the middle of the ocean, just kind of walking out and I turned around and I looked at the jungle and I was feeling quite sad because they were about to build. The reason why we were able to live on it is because they were about to build like a four-star hotel there. Oh, wow. And I had, you know, developed a pretty intimate relationship with that beach and that jungle there. I've been living there for a couple months and <laughs> hearing all the cool things and exploring up in the up above and and so I was having this moment of sadness you know this really like deep grieving moment of like oh they're gonna like destroy this you know and then and I just got this really strong hit like the jungle will survive mm. you know mm. like, and I had the vision of the hotel kind of taken over by the jungle you know and and I realized like in that moment, I just kind of realized like, oh yeah, you know, the earth is gonna survive regardless of what we do. On some level, the spirit of the earth, the earth will, will make it, we might not. Right, right. <laughs> but the earth will. And, and just, you know, that feeling, there was something really comforting about it, you know, because I feel like, I feel so connected to the earth and I feel like, that that's a very spiritual thing you know and it doesn't have to always only do with this time and place you know? yeah i remember it was probably like late 80s early 90s um there was a lot more save the earth stickers and that kind of phrase was a thing and people were really on board and then the same thing kind of occurred to me at this certain point save the earth right. <laughs> earth's gonna be fine save ourselves exactly. <laughs> like, we're the ones who are in trouble <laughs> right you know Holy. yeah <laughs> but yeah it's funny to think about um well, this is good because I feel like we kind of started with the present moment. We're kind of, we're kind of pushing back. <laughs> yeah, that got really far. Yeah. yeah, sorry. <laughs> well, let's let's just go further into history f with you. So that was your twenties, mm -hmm. um, and you. So, yeah, let's just kind of like bounce around Tarantino style. But when do you remember like really having a sense of nature being a uh, this entity or this reality, mm -hmm. this awareness that drew you, or mm -hmm. you wanted mm -hmm. to be more in or. Of course, it's what's mm -hmm. tracking. Like, how far back did that mm -hmm. go for you? I mean, the first thing that comes up for me is when I was about five, I think. Um, I was out with a friend. Well, I have these two memories that are such a trip. And one of them is, is that I was walking in our driveway, and I have a memory of like a bee being in my mouth. Wow. And, and I'm not even sure if it really happened or if it was a dream, but then it was like more bees came. And I remember there was bees in the tree, and then there was bees in my mouth. <laughs> and being like, 
crazy. You know, like just having this experience with these bees and and then, you know, and then it all shifted, you know, and, and it's such a weird memory. It's like, did I dream that? Did that really happen? You know, but then I do remember this one time when my friend and I, this little boy, we were like trying to catch bees, you know, and so we were like at this bush and we were like, trying to catch the bees and I caught one, you know, and of course it stung me, <laughs> you know, and I was just like, that was a really smart thing to do, you know, but, but I remember it like somehow affecting my consciousness around like, oh, these creatures are like beings, you know, and they're, they have an effect on me, you know, and they're not just like something for me to mess with or like, you know, so it was really like a little bit of awakening, you know, in that moment. And then, um, yeah, and then I, you know, I was lucky to grow up in a time where we were pretty free range and we were out in nature all the time, running around, doing whatever, having dirt clod fights and <laughs> all the crazy stuff. And then I think probably the most, I want to say one of the very, I mean, my family, we always went camping. So we always went to Mammoth and camped and, you know, we did a lot of camping when I was young and stuff. And then we did a lot of skiing when I was a little older, like when I was in my like 10 to 13 or something like that and, and camped and skied and stuff. And we lived in a place that had a lot of land around it so mm. we could explore a lot. But I think the thing that was really the big clencher for me was when I was living in San Diego County and I had a horse. Uh. And I could go for hours and hours and hours on this horse and just be in the middle of nowhere. Wow. You know? And just, we would just ride and ride. And sometimes I was by myself and sometimes I was with friends and she was my way to move around. And, and, um, and that connection with her, you know, was really profound because I was a young, you know, I was a preteen teen and I think that she really helped me through that those hard moments when you're like you know 13 14 um <laughs> just like what this you know like difficult moments and i would just go to her you know and she would always just be there for me and i felt this really deep connection with her mm -hmm. and then we would just ride and you know i experienced rattlesnakes and experienced you know just being way out you know yeah. and and having just amazing times and just laying on the earth, you know, her, she's there and I'm just laying on the earth or whatever's happening and the smell of sagebrush. And mm -hmm. I mean, just all of those things are so like visceral in my system of like, that was just such a time when I felt like really deeply connected, you know, to the land and to her and, and could just go wherever I wanted, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. That would, yeah, that would be a powerful, I can imagine how powerful that would be to have that history. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like going forward, uh, getting into college age and the the professional world and work and all that? Did you lose some of that connection, or were you did you try to keep it really intact, or like what was that phase like? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I would say you know, for the first well, when I first like I signed up for to go to UC Santa Barbara. I signed up like by checking a box. I had never <laughs> seen the school. I had no idea. All I knew was by the beach, you know. Uh -huh. And I knew I didn't want to go to any of the other UC schools, you know, because of their locale or whatever. And I was like, okay. So then I get up there and I'm like, oh my god. I went. I went to visit with some friends. I'm like, this is why I'm going to school. <laughs> god, look at this. Like I'm like gonna live at the beach, you know. I was just like so stoked, you know. Yeah. And so I think in some ways. 
that nature connection feeling never really left because I knew that that was like a great thing to have, mm. you know, like even though maybe I was partying and doing whatever <laughs> at that age, there was still this thing of like, I can go to the beach, you know, I can go to the beach and I can have those moments of solace, you mm. know, at the ocean and at the beach. And, and, uh, and I would say that, you know, that time in Isla Vista was really profound too because, you know, there was psychedelics and different things, you know. And oh, you see Santa Barbara. Okay, I thought, yeah. I mean, I thought you heard Berkeley though. No, okay. you see Santa Barbara, yeah. So, you know, I, I definitely, and there's a lot of need, there's a lot of nature to be had around there, you know. So mm. I, we would go and, I, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to remember exactly like what it was like when I was there but I do have this memory like I do feel like just knowing that I could go to the cliffs and sit on the edge of the cliff and you know be in this beautiful place and go to the beach and all of these things were really helpful for me you know and and really kept me connected and and I lived up there a couple summers so you know like after after pretty much didn't go back home except for after my freshman year. Then I didn't, I just kept staying up there. And in the summer, it's like amazing there. Because mm, yeah. there's hardly anyone there. And you just have these beaches all to yourself. And, right. and I started tuning into like, oh, there's these fruit trees everywhere. I can just pick fruit. Yeah. <laughs> like there's figs and there's pomegranates and there's, yeah. you know, yeah. mulberries. And so, yeah, so I've, don't feel like it ever completely went away, even though I was distracted with school and all of that. But I always had that the ability to go to those yeah. places. And then how did it happen that you started to kind of put together um, just the feminine experience and uh, other women, mm -hmm. earth, nature, mm -hmm. ritual? Like, what did that start to like come into focus and how did that all? So I was, um, I graduated from UCSB and I went and lived in Seattle for a little while and I realized like I wanted to live in a city, you know, cause I wanted to have a city experience mm -hmm. and it was so funny. I was thinking about this the other day and I ended up like, all I wanted to do was go to the parks. <laughs> <laughs> so I would just go to, if I, I was a nanny, so we, I just would take the kids and we would find whatever park there was we could go to. And then when it would, the weather was bad, we'd go to the aquarium or the you know, to the science center or to the kids museum or whatever. But like the parks were really the thing that yeah. I was into, you know? And so it's kind of ironic. Like I, I quickly realized, no, I do not want to drink coffee and smoke cigarettes in a cafe. <laughs> like, it is not who I am. I want to like go explore the parks and eat blackberries and, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> notice the change in the seasons and all of that. Um, and then I ended up from there, I had a group of friends who were pretty, like my senior year of uh, at UCSB, we all started protesting against apartheid. Oh, okay. And we were camping out from the library. And it was quite a radical group of people, you know? And I remember one night we were all dancing, we started just doing contact improv. And I was like, this is super cool. Cause I always really loved to dance. You know, I always was really into dance. And so we started doing contact improv and I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Uh -huh. <laughs> this is really fun. And, mm -hmm. um, and then I left and was gone for the year. And then a bunch of them were going to go to big mountain because there was this whole issue happening at big mountain. Right. And so, and I, and I had heard about it and I actually went and watched some films about it while I was in Seattle. There was a, a organization there that was 
teaching about what was happening out on the reservation. And, um, and so I, when I heard my friends were going, I just was like, okay, I'm jumping on board that experience, you know, and I left Seattle and went down to UCSB and we got a whole, we had a caravan and we headed to Big Mountain, you mm. know, and I didn't really have any idea what to expect, but, um, it was a wild adventure. And I noticed when I got there, like I was asked to dig, help dig a latrine. And I was so happy to be in the earth digging because mm. we'd been on the road for like three days, yeah, you yeah. know, and I was just so happy to be in the earth digging this hole, you know, yeah. and I dug like this huge hole, you know, and I was like, wow. And, and then just that experience, I remember there were so many elements to it, but at one point me and my friend went out and we were helping a woman herd her sheep while she went to town and an older woman. And then, um, when she came back, I can't remember if it was before or after, but at some point we went with her to do some fence fixing, you know, and I just watched the way that she walked on the planet and the way that she was connected to the space and the earth and, and how, you know, like she was fixing this fence and she was smudging it mm. and, you know, really connecting in with like what's been happening here and asking for permission to keep her sheep you know, where they go and like really doing this whole ritual to kind of help protect her, her herd. And that was just like, wow, I was mm. kind of like in awe, you know, and I never, I hadn't experienced that, especially with a native person, you know, and, um, and then the whole time, you know, we were just really connected and then we were able to go witness the Sundance and, uh, and that was mm. really profound too. Mm. And I had a guy there, a medicine man came up to me at one point. I was working on a, we were building a root cellar. And um, he came up and he was like, I need to take you with me. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then it turned out he was like the medicine man. And he took me up to the teepee where the dancers were. And then, you know, he had me wait outside. And then he came out and he actually gave me some peyote. Huh. And he was just like, you know, they'd been soaking. They were like soaked peyote. He was like, here, eat these, you know, and then we'll talk. Wow. So I ate like two or three buttons. I can't remember. And um, and then he just downloaded all this information to me. <laughs> and I was like, whoa. And I remember just feeling, I mean, I didn't feel like super altered, but I felt really energized. Mm -hmm. And um, And he just shared a lot of things about like what, how parts of their culture have been, you know, acculturated and taken away and what had happened to them as people and why they were doing the Sundance and what, what the Sundance was about for them. And then he, you know, sent me on my way. And, and I remember going back to the building and just being like, Whoa, I have so much energy. Yeah, <laughs> <You yeah. know? laughs> and, um, and so coming back from that experience was like, okay, I, there needs to be something a little bit different in my reality, you know? And I think it was after that, that like I went to a women's herbal gathering and I just started to connect with this idea of women empowering each other and really connecting with our menstrual cycles and how that is a really powerful time and, and what that means. And, and just slowly started going to different gatherings where that was, and then a lot of singing, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of circle songs mm -hmm. and singing and, and different women, you know, empowered in different 
areas and learning about plants. I mean, I think when I went to Big Mountain, that was the first time that I got turned on to the idea of plants as healing mm. medicine. And I went back and I got a book because I suffered from a lot of irritable bowel stuff. Mm -hmm. And so when I went back, I got a book and I started to take the herbs and started to really get into herbology and, and finding what was healing for me. And, and, um, and then I met a group of people who were going to an herb school in Northern California and just all of these things were sort of synchronistically happening at the same time. And, and, and yeah, and then, and then I moved back, eventually moved back. I mean, a lot of experiences happened in between, but I eventually moved back to Isla Vista with Robert. We were living together and, um, and we just at one, one solstice, I had several friends that, you know, were kind of in the whole women's spirituality group or a couple of them that were really into it. And, and we decided to do a solstice ritual mm. and that was sort of our first time that we met and did this ritual and um and that was 30 a little bit more than 30 years ago wow yeah and uh we, we talk about it a lot now um but so we did this really beautiful ritual and um and then we were like why are, let's do this every month mm -hmm. so a group of us came together and every new moon we would meet and have a circle and we did that for a good solid like year and then and the new moons or the full moons? We did the new moons. Wow, okay. Yeah. yeah. So we were sort of honoring that dark time and that deep feminine. Yeah. And uh and every new moon we would meet. And actually our first meeting was on the the eve of the what what was that one? Yeah. <laughs> one of those war Desert Storm. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that, oh, yeah, yeah. that, that war. And uh and we just yeah, there was something about that that was kinda of interesting. We all talk about that, and uh, and yeah, and so we met. We had we still meet. We still meet. Wow. We just had a meeting this past. Um, I guess we tried to do it for maybe was it? I can't even remember now. Maybe we tried to do it for Halloween. We were trying to have a, a some Halloween meeting, but it ended up being pushed to later. But that's fine, you know. And so we just did a whole ancestor ritual and people came one of the women lives now in grass valley and she came down wow. and yeah and then when when we did have our 30th circle our 30th year anniversary a bunch of people came and we mm. all had a big circle and it was very sweet mm. you know people that we hadn't i hadn't seen one of the women for oh, i don't know how long 27 years or something like wow. that wow so, that's amazing yeah so that you know we just had this solid thing that we did for a long time and people would leave, like I left and went to Boulder, and then whenever I visited, we'd have a circle. You know, it just it just really was a pretty deep, profound group of people. Yeah. That, you know, we've stayed connected. And Yeah, okay. Well, let's go back even a little, a lot further, actually, and then we'll kind of go to the future. But, so, Thinking's on McCracken, that's your yes. maiden name. Yes. Scottish, is that right? Scottish, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. what connection have you, you know, have right. you fostered connection with your ancestry? If you have, what have you, have, what have you been getting out of it? What have you understood about it? What are you trying to, mm -hmm. is there anything you're trying to bring forward? And, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and also <clears throat> that, and then something I'm always working with is this idea of appropriation. Right. Spiritual appropriation, especially. And how does one who comes from a different lands 
uh, honor their traditions and how they have experienced spirituality and connection to the land when they're in a different place. place. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and right. It's already an established way of doing things. Right. Right. Yeah. It's a. It's a. I mean, it is a big thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like how that works. Um. Yeah. So I know a little bit about my ancestry. Not a ton. I haven't. I haven't really. I, I think about diving into it a lot, but it just hasn't happened to the depth that I've thought about doing it, you know? Um, I know that, you know, my dad has a whole giant book that some, one of the cousins did, or like not even a cousin, I don't even know how this person's related to me actually, <laughs> but there's a book that has all our ancestry, you know? I know that my, so, I think my family came here at a time similar to when the Irish came. Mm -hmm. um, and my grandmother did not, my great-great-grandmother did not want to be seen as Irish. So she actually changed our name from MC to MAC. So it was very clear that we were Scottish, ah. which was interesting. Like when you come, like the prejudice that was happening in this right. country against right. the Irish, right? Um, we are, McCracken means people of the hills know that and um you know i i know a little bit about like our plaid and those kind of things those simple things but um and then you know i've always felt like pretty much the tradition that we've used in my women's circle and in in general for me has is celtic mm -hmm. you know it comes out of the celtic traditions in terms of the four directions and and the elements that we relate like when we do the medicine circle with the vision quest i'm always a little bit like ah, this is not how i'm used to it because right. it's a little slightly different right so um i've always like and i've always felt like that feels good to me you know because that is part of what my lineage is mm -hmm. you know is that celtic tradition um i've encountered along the way different people who are really diving into that that history and the shamanic, you know, experiences of, um, of those, that area, you know, and so I've had little bits and pieces of connection to that. And a lot of the goddess-based spirituality or the earth-based spirituality does, like, when you think of, like, Mother, Mother Maiden Crone and the stag and these different holidays, they are really coming out of that tradition, you know, so it's an interesting thing, but yet it doesn't, I notice that I don't feel really like like that I'm in the wrong place, you know, because mm -hmm. I mean, we have stags, and, you know, sure. we have these things, we have autumn, we have, you know, we have sunsets, we have these same kind of seasonal things, they just, and, and they're probably fairly similar to Scotland, you know, in terms of when they happen and how they happen, it's not like we're, in, you know, we're coming from the south, which is much different. Right, right. Orientation, you know, if you're like from Australia or something. Right. You know? Yeah, way differently. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so I've always felt pretty comfortable about that piece. And then I, yeah, I guess I feel like I'm trying to think, like, because I do feel so deeply connected to the land here, you know. And I noticed when I was in Spain, I was like, oh, here's all these plants that I know, uh -huh, right? Uh -huh. Because so totally similar climate, you know? And I was like, oh, but the only, one of the differences is that 
there's wild lavender, you know, uh, that we don't have here. And there's there's wild rosemary and there's wild thyme, and mm-hmm. you know, which is just so, in, like, was really interesting for me, you know. And then, but it also felt so good to, like, walk around and know so many of the plants, mm-hmm. you know. I felt like, wow, okay, this is not far from my, you know, familiarity, you know. And it, that was kind of cool to just be like, I'm in this place, it's on the other side of the world, but, like, the land is so similar, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and I think about like, you know, I don't really know for sure, but I know that like, there has to be some kind of um, somewhere in my history and my lineage, there's got to be some dark darker skinned, like whether it's the Moors that came up into Scotland or whether you know it's like. I'm not really sure, but um, because we're all like pretty brown, you know, my uh-huh. family, we're all pretty tan. You know? right, right. We're not like your fair skinned Scottish, Red-headed, Irish, yeah. you know, we're more of like the dark variety. And um, so I wonder if we were in Spain at one time, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. I wonder. And we were, when we were in Spain, we saw this primitive, um, or primitive, uh, what's the word I want? Not primitive. Um, you think of the word but basically like a um neolithic you know like burial site uh-huh. which was really cool and it's just these rocks you know with a flat rock on top of it and they're just these like caverns that they buried people in you know and i just thought about it when i was sitting there i was like wow you know this could be my ancestors you know, there, there could, I, I mean, cause we're all ultimately right from Africa right, right? and right. we all moved around. Right? right. So it's just, and that's like an interesting thing too, to think about, like in some way, you know, we could be connected somehow to some native people here, you know, it's hard to say. Um, but yeah. And I try to be very respectful of that, piece and I and I, I question it sometimes because I do um like I know a lot about the plants and I know a lot about how to use them and sometimes I have that concern of like okay am, am I taking something away from somebody else but I also feel like like I think about Robin Wall Kimmerer's book about when she talks about the sweet grass and how the sweet grass wants to be harvested, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and she proves it with a scientific study, you know, <laughs> and I think about that. It's like, and that's like the connection with the plant and like saying thank you to the plant and to the land and honoring it. And also being acknowledging that, yes, there have been people here for thousands and thousands of years that have used this land and these plants and that in many, and you know, I don't know if my ancestors directly harmed them, but for sure, white people and colonists, you know, have really done some serious damage to these people. And and I feel a lot of grief about that, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And so I try to honor that grief, because I feel like we, we, we've ultimately all missed out. You know? Yeah. No, I feel we like have ultimately good. fucked ourselves, <laughs> you know? Yeah. By not honoring these people you know when we came when when people first came here i mean like what how different it would be Mm. right if people had come with some humbleness and respect and just a different connection you know 
Yeah, this the you know it's the difference between uh, intellectually wanting to do things different and actually internally wanting to do things different. Because I feel like we just basically came and perpetrated right. what was being done to us, you know, yeah. and we didn't really take that second look. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, I imagine there was a few people who did, but I think overall, yeah, there's yeah. I mean, being generalized yeah. generalizations here, but yeah, yeah. Well, it's. So that's that's kind of a good juncture point too, because we know each other from the Connor clan here in the Ventura Ojai area, mm -hmm. which is um, an organization that op gives people an opportunity to go out and do a traditional wilderness rite of passage, right. spending four days and four nights out in the lands by themselves with no food, just some water, and um, uh, and that comes from a lot of. So this is kind of like a little bit of a, a phasing over of like. We're trying to honor the way things are done here, and um, but we're not from here, and we're using this technology. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know that the founders, Ken and Karen, did their best to to get permission from the people that were willing to interface with them, and mm -hmm. um, and then yeah, but we all come from you know deep deep ancestry and lineages that did it somewhat different. Even right. though, if you read most books on rites of passage, most Rites of passages around the world incorporated some kind of solo time in nature, usually right. without food. <laughs> right, right. Amongst right. other aspects. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear just a little bit about how that kind of came into your sphere of awareness and what, you know, just a general overview of what your experience was going through that process. And then now that you trained and you're one of the, you know, prominent female guides in that organization, actively taking women out to give them that opportunity too. So just what that's like, um, you know, mm -hmm. advocating for this process and particularly in this region. Right, right, yeah. Um, well, I think the way that I came into Condor Plan was that Robert, my husband, was curious about it he had heard about it. probably i think i first heard about it through richard and then richard palmer and then mary natwick was another person who i'd heard about it from and i remember at the time that mary was going through it we me and a couple other women were leading a, a year-long initiation process based on francis weller's work mm -hmm. that he's done with community and that robert went through the men's work with him too and so we were leading that and I remember Mary saying to me, I asked her why she didn't want to do the process we were doing. And she goes, when you've had 20 years of experience, let me know and I'll, I'll think about it. And I was like, oh. And at the moment, I was kind of like, oh, you know, like, oh, that's kind of intense. And and then um, and then we went through the process. Right. And I was like, oh, God, now yeah. I see what Mary was talking about. I mean, it was it was rough. Hmm. I mean, it was really powerful, but there was a lot of things that you know, needed to be shored up. And it, it, it wasn't done in a way that I felt really great about in the end. Like, I felt like there was some mismatches going on with the leaders and, and even in the group. And there were so many great things that we did. And then there was also just things where it went awry and it was a little bit awry. So I came out of it actually feeling kind of, um, the word like arrows in my back a little bit uh -huh. okay. know, as, a, as a leader you know and um and so then Robert was really interested in doing the Condor vision and he applied and then it didn't happen that year so the next year it was happening and I was like I was about to turn 50 and I was like oh maybe I should do it too you know 
And he was like, that'd be cool, you know. And then I just hesitated, hesitated. And I remember writing my letter and going, well, I don't know if it's going to get in on time because it was like December, uh -huh. you know. And uh -huh. I was like, I'm not sure I'm going to get a spot, but we'll let, you know, the universe take care of it. And I sent my letter in and Farian gets back to me and is like, well, the universe said yes, so you're in. And I was like, okay, cool. And uh, and then when I met Farian, I was like, oh, now I see what Mary's talking about. <laughs> It's like, yeah, just to have that much experience, you know, like doing the process. I was like, okay, I get it, you know, like it's like, it's a thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, and then I think, you know, doing the process, um, I mean, the things that stick out for me is the seed box for sure. Like what a beautiful thing that is to create the seed box and and to put time into really thinking about your life story and then sharing it with people mm -hmm. and being heard and seen in that way. And um, and I've spent a lot of time being heard and seen because I have a master's degree in somatic psychology and that's all we did would be heard and seen <laughs> for two years <laughs> or three almost. But, um, but it was just really lovely to just like go through that whole story and then share it and have this like symbol of it you know and then yeah. and then have it represent like the seed that you're planting and and um and it was at a time when my kids i mean keenan was i don't know 12 maybe or something like that and finn was just like five or six yeah he must have been six so he was still pretty little you know but it was definitely a time when i was like able to like start thinking about well, what do I want to do in the world now that I don't have to be a full-time on mother all the time right you now and um and so going out on the mountain is interesting because I didn't have any fear about being in nature for three days and nights by myself I was like so excited <laughs> I'm like I'm gonna have time alone for three whole days right, like right. I'm like super <laughs> whereas other women were like I don't know it's gonna be like all by myself for three I was like bring it on <laughs> you know <laughs> um and I didn't have any fears about being in nature because I felt like I have a strong connection to nature. I've camped alone. I've done all kinds of stuff out there, you know. Yeah. I'm not wasn't worried at all about being out there by myself. Um, so it was very interesting to me that I had such an intense experience, you know. Mm -hmm. Like I really didn't expect. I mean, I expect to have an experience, but I didn't expect to get to the point where I thought I was worried, like is this okay? What's happening to me? So, um, yeah, cause I, I just got so weak and I was throwing up and I could barely move. Wow. You know, I could barely walk very far. I was crawling to my stone, to my stone pile the one morning. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was yeah. really intense. And so in the middle of the night, you know, I was like throwing up and, um, and I was like, is this okay? Like, I'm not eating. Am I going to get dehydrated? Like, well, I should go into base camp, you know, because I don't. And then I was like, well, I'll wait until sunlight at least, you know, to go to base camp because I didn't want to wake very up in the middle of the night, you know. And also, too, I wasn't sure about walking there. Um, but, yeah, so I made it to base camp. And then I had this experience where, you know, 
Luciferian said something about because uh, what kept happening for me was with the death lodge was that I felt like I couldn't die because of my children. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And it was like, even though I knew it was a psychological death, that it was something that was dying, you know, I still, I just, I, it just, you can't die, you can't mm -hmm. die, you can't die, mm -hmm. you know, and it was just all about my children. Like, I can't die because I have Ben and Keenan. And then Farian says, well, it's not the, it's not, you always be a mother. It's not the mothering that, that has to die. It's the impediment to you giving your gift. And right away my brain just went, well, aren't they the same? Huh. thing huh. and in that moment i realized like oh this is a very old belief mm. like this is a like i've inherited this belief from this lineage of women that you cannot be a mother and a wife and still give your gifts and have your own wow. gift to give right and i felt my mother my grandmothers the mothers before that you know my great grandma i felt everybody just lined up behind me and having that belief you wow. know and it was so intense. And then I felt energy like just flowing out of my body, like through my hip that was like just leaking huh. because of that belief, you know? Yeah. And so I just didn't have enough energy because this belief was keeping me from being able to do more than just be a mom, you know, and, and a wife. So that was just a really interesting moment, you know? Yeah. And, and I felt so, you know, and, and then, you know, I kind of went back and um, Farian had given me some tea and some ginger candy. <laughs> she does. And uh, I went back and, you know, I just was so grateful to be on the land at that moment, you know. And I felt really connected to the land the whole time. I mean, the first day I just hiked around all over and sang and hiked and sang and the idea of doing a vision vision program for girls is came up for me the very oh. first day that's when it kind of popped into my mind you know like oh I want to do this with young girls you know and here's what's and I even mapped the whole thing out you know <laughs> because I had a ton of energy on the first day second day I was like okay I think I'm not gonna go anywhere but um but yeah so I was just happy to be on the land but I was very surprised I mean I was so weak at the end that I couldn't even stuff my sleeping bag in a stuff sack. oh my gosh yeah. yeah I could not get it in there it was a trip. I was like, I have never <laughs> felt this week before in my life. And um, so, yeah, so that was kind of the experience on the mountain. And, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's great. I keep thinking we should create some format regularly where the men and women get to hear each other's stories because that's like I've never heard. I've known you for like yeah. over 10 years. And I haven't heard that story. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I came back. Um, obviously, you were st struck, you know, deep enough by the experience and the people who were around to to jump in and train. And now you actively guide. Yeah, and so, it, it kind of was like a. I mean, it took a few years because you know Finn was still pretty little too, and I was working at the Montessori school, and um, where Finn and Keenan were both at school, so I didn't have a ton of time or energy. And Farian and I both knew right away, like that I would want to be a guide, but I was like, I need a few years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, and so the thing that happened right away was that I had Finn doing Ventura Wild and he was with you, I think, and right. Heather, right? Doing Ventura Wild. And at some point I said to Heather, I was like, 
I should like volunteer, you know, uh -huh. because then, you know, one, I could maybe not pay as much, but also two, like, I want to be out there with the kids in nature. And, you know, I'm working with kids and, you know, at the school and I was like, I want to be like with the kids outside, you know, in nature. And, and it was just such an instant fit. I mean, mm -hmm. Heather was like, oh, I've been watching you for a while. Like, <laughs> I, I have a position for you. Like, I don't want you to volunteer. I want you to, I'm hiring, you know, and, yeah, great. you know, and she was like, uh, you know, I want you to work. And I was like, oh, cool, you know, and, um, and yeah, and it, it felt like that was such a perfect segue, you know, from coming off the mountain and then having my work be outside with kids. Yeah. Like, it just seemed like, oh, wow, like, I just, I did it, you know, like, I, right. I got what I wanted, right, you know, right. I got the arena to give my gift, you know, and I learned so much in those first couple years at Ventura Wild, you know, just watching Heather and CJ and Casey, you know, just mm -hmm. interacting with all of them and how, and how it went and just really felt like I was so juiced up, you know, on, on the whole nature connection thing, the coyote mentoring, the wilderness, the primitive skills, mm -hmm. all of it was just like food, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and then I'd get to teach a little bit about the plants and we'd be out there and it was just so much fun. And I'll never forget this one day we were doing like a tracking game and I was the one who they were tracking and I was like sitting in these bushes going, oh my God, this is my job. <laughs> I'm so stoked. I'm like, I'm right? having my own little sit spot here. I'm like, totally. Yeah, like, those are the best river, moments. You know, I'm like, it's my job. I'm hiding in the bushes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so stoked. Yeah, I have those moments too when I work with kids where I just, I mean, those peculiar moments I'm like, this is my job. And, I'm, and I'll think like, there's 8 billion people on the planet. How many are sitting in a bush right now, hiding from kids and getting paid? Right. Not that many. Not that many. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Not that many. Yeah. I know. It's like, wow. Yeah. It's such a great, you know, and I have these moments now where I get like, oh, I'm a little burned out. I'm this or that, you know. Then I go out there with the kids and I'm like, mm. why would I want any other job? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. And then, so yeah, so a few years went by, you know, I was doing the Ventura Wild stuff and still working at the school too, a little bit. And then, um, and then I don't remember actually the year that I said I would do the guiding. I don't remember. It was the year that Farian was going to do her last, her last time and mm. she was going to be with Zahava. And I think she may have called me and said, are you ready? Mm. Like, I can't really remember how it all went down. Or maybe we both came together at a gathering and I was like, I think I'm ready. She's like, yes, I need you. You know? And so she was like, I'm going to do this thing with Zahava where I'm going to be like making sure that she knows how to be the lead and then she'll have an apprentice, you know, and so you can be the apprentice. So when the three of us went out together, it was magical. Oh, yeah. It was so magical. I mean, one, Zahava and I have a pretty long history of knowing each other because she's, was her ex was really good friends with Robert's sister. Uh -huh. And so we've known each other through that for a long time. And I was actually at her, like, um, baby shower for Charlie. And, mm but and just have a good connection with her you know and then to be out there the three of us and we just had so much fun i mean it was just so awesome to be at base camp together yeah yeah it was so powerful and but i did i will say this about the first time i went out i had to kind of almost go through aspects of my first of my fast mm -hmm. i don't know if this if you had this experience the first time you guided but i had this experience of like 
wondering if I could do it because of what was going on, like both physically and psychologically for me during that, during that first time apprenticing mm. was like, I was revisiting all of the stuff from my fast that was hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, it's been a while since the first right, time I, right. I don't remember, but right. I do know part of the reason I still do it and why I've tried to do it more is because of that. Like there's so much I get from watching other men go through the process and getting to, to witness what they're discovering about themselves and how they're discovering it. Connections with their ancestry, connection to themselves, connection with the land, connections with their gift. And there's a, there's a vicarious transmission that renews me, you right, know, right. And yeah. uh, that helps me understand. I, cause I still feel like I mean, I've been guiding for almost 20 years, if not 20 years this year. Mm-hmm. And I still think I get out there and I'm still like, so what am I trying to explain to these guys? <laughs> like, you know, it's so, it's so ineffable, you know, and so hard to really put accurate words around yet the experience, you know, it's just what comes up with our human experience, just getting out into these rarefied spaces where there's really nothing. Right. There's no, you know, there's little reading material. There's, yeah. there's no, not a lot of distractions. Show. Yeah, it's just exactly. like, it's just what's coming up and it's immense and it's immense work I find. Yeah. So. Yeah, totally. It's, it's very profound and, and it's, I mean, the thing that I just love about it too is like when you're in base camp and you're kind of like, is anything happening for these women? You know, you're not hearing <laughs> right. them. You're not so seeing quiet, them. Yeah. It's quiet. I mean, maybe you'll hear some singing or you'll hear a little bit of this or that, you know, but overall you're like just kind of holding the space and being like, I wonder yeah. if anything's happening. And then they come back and they're just, you can see just mm-hmm. as soon as they walk up, they're just completely transformed, you yeah. know? Yeah. And it's just so powerful. It's really an incredible thing and and I love that it's I mean the other thing that I really love about it is that it has l- nothing to do with us as as guides mm-hmm. you know really like we're just holding space like we don't have like it's so I mean I think that that was the thing about the initiation process that we did with these women we were kind of trying to go through it at the same time which clearly didn't work at all and and so and there was a lot more ego I feel like coming from especially like from the facilitators you know I felt like there was a little bit more attachment to the process I guess you know and um and what we were presenting and so just the way it's been created and done and that it's really just about like you and nature you know and it's your connection to nature and it's very much like the guys are just there to hold space and to make sure you're safe you know and it to me it feels so clean in that way and the transformation doesn't need us you know Mm -hmm. and it's really about your experience with nature you know yeah and it's just so beautiful in that way you know and really just yeah it for me it just makes it so that it it doesn't feel like there's yeah there's nothing sticky happening you know and I, that I really appreciate about it. You know? Yeah, yeah, there's a very clean, I feel like a lot of programs, you know, so much of at least what I see out there as far as offerings and programs, and, and it's all great and wonderful. Though. I mean, it's not a judgment on what people are creating and generating, but it tends to be, they tend to have, you know, if, if you create something from your imagination and creativity and put words to it and themes and concepts, then ultimately you're responsible 
for the quality of someone's right. experience of it. And so I can see where there is that sort of like, it is about me and I'm doing this and this is right. what I'm trying to convey. And I do feel like, um, you know, this, the vision, pro the, you know, just the, I would say the, the traditional wilderness rite of passage process, whatever it looks like around the world, is that almost sidesteps that entire thing because mm -hmm. you, you mm -hmm. need the guidance and you need the wisdom and the experience of people to make sure you have a proper experience that's kind of bring you back intact in the way you need to come back but at a certain point there's no no one's holding right you know, it's not like the authority exactly <laughs> like i'm not the one who knows how your relationship with nature is right. or your or right. what you need to get out of nature that you need to watch that ant for four hours you know yeah. like that's yeah. not has nothing to do with me you know or that you you know you know yeah just all the different things you know your encounter with the deer you know it's like yeah. none of that has anything to do with us you know yeah it reminds me a little bit i don't know if you're a matrix fan but um the first matrix there's a really great uh arc of a scene where you know um, Morpheus is the guy who gets Neo out of, you know, wakes him up and is like, you're the one, you know, he's kind of like acting as the guide, but there's a certain point where he keeps saying, like, you need to go see the Oracle. When you're ready, you need to see the Oracle. Mm -hmm. And then he takes him up there and he goes to see the Oracle. He has this private conversation, which is this grandma making cookies. It's so great, you know. <laughs> right. <clears throat> and um, she tells, I don't think I'm spoiling any scenes here. It's a 30-year-old movie. She tells him he's not the one. Right, and he's right. relieved. He's like, "Thank God, like this right. pressure." Right, and but he's also like, "Oh, Morpheus is gonna be so let down." Morpheus right. is a true believer, and he comes back out, gets in the elevator with Morpheus, and he starts to say, "Like, well, she told me he's like, what she told you is just for you," you know. And I feel like that was a really good, mm -hmm. uh, you know, allegory to how it is. Like, yes, people come back and tell their story, but they can't really tell. It's just a story about what happened. Like, right. You can never really transmit what actually happened. And there is that sense of like, it's just for you. You know, that right. time with nature and that intimacy that you discover with, you know, storing it any way you want. It's, you know, my my humanistic, you know, natural mind wants to say it is nature. Nature spoke to me. The rocks did talk to me. There is sentience out there. My scientific mind says, um, wow look at how much i can generate within myself right, you know right, exactly either right. way the hit is the same that right. you know i and i try to ride the line between like knowing there's a rational mind and then there's this you know uh, imaginary mind and to me it's like whatever is going on out there it's like i can't it doesn't matter how much i write or talk about it i can never really convey right you know right the experience yeah yeah and so yeah. in that sense it is you know I, it is this it is the direct transmission that's just for the individual that goes out there to receive it you mm -hmm, know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah and that is like that is the ultimate authority you know i feel like it's such a powerful experience and um and to get that orientation that comes from a place of surrender you know you kind of get broken down out there you know it's hard it's a physical ordeal right, um right there's fears, all this stuff comes up, but then you come out with this really grounded sense of like, I know who I am and I know what I'm up to uh, because the tree told me so. You exactly, know? Like, right. I didn't tell myself, so I don't have a piece of paper, like, you know, there's no right, other right, right, entity right, out there. It's like right. 
directly right. to Eric, which I think right. is really, really, really powerful. I just, so. yeah, to, went for the process. I just went for the, for the ride, whatever yeah. it looked like, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and the, the altering of your system because you aren't eating food, you know, and you don't have to think about making food, <laughs> you know? definitely sets you up to have a different kind of experience than if you yeah. just were camping you know, right. by yourself, right. you know, because you are definitely, and you've done this six month process that we do, you know, to kind of orient you in this way that you're going to have some sort of an experience because you're looking at all of these things along the way. But really when you're out there, it's like, yeah, I think that the not having you know, only drinking water and not having very much food, right? No, or no food is sets you up to have something happen on some level, mm -hmm. or just asking questions at least, you mm -hmm. know. And yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, just the, the limited distraction. Yeah, and I think too on some level, the, the, the demonstration to whatever is that sense of something outside of ourselves. The, the demonstration of like I'm putting everything down. I'm neglecting my needs. I'm, ne I'm neglecting everything so I can completely be wholly devoted to paying attention right, to right. what I'm perceiving, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's just kind of jet forward here as we come down the pike um, towards the future, uh -huh. you know? <laughs> yeah. And thinking about, um, I always like to touch on climate change or whatever you want to call it. I'm not really that concerned about what people see feelings are whether it's right. human generated or otherwise but right. something's going on right it's the planet huge. is changing yeah yeah um there's a certain lifestyle a lot of us are living that is not in congruence right um you're involved in transformational work that's nature-based you're involved with working with kids out in nature so just curious if you want to share a little bit on like how do you hold the fact that um, the next generations really do need to hold a different set of standards, different set of values. Um, they need to be perceiving our the world around us, the resources, nature differently mm -hmm. if we're gonna like surf this wave. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. right. So um, yeah, just what are your thoughts on that, your feelings, <laughs> you know, any kind of this way you sort of project into the future about how you're going to communicate your message. Um, right, right. I mean, yeah. like I said before, I think that, you know, we as a species are in trouble. And a lot of other species, obviously, mm -hmm. are in trouble. I mean, I think that that's like a big part of it for me. That's where a lot of the grief comes in is really for all the other species. Mm. Because I feel like it's not something that they asked for or right. that they had contributed to in any way, really. Um so I feel like that's where a lot of sadness for me comes up, you know, a lot of grief for, for just the beings that are not, don't have a voice really. Mm. Um, so I feel like there is that thing of like, how do we be a voice for these other species? You mm. know? And, um, yeah, and it's really hard. Like I think about, you know, because I see my kids and I'm like, you know, how do you tell these people that they can't have these things? Right. You know? Or that they need to change their lifestyle because this is gonna happen, you know? And I don't know that we can, honestly. I, I don't know that we can get people to just shift because I think there's just so many people that, I don't know, humans are funny. We like to be comfortable, you know? Yeah. But we also are highly adaptable beings, right. you know? I mean, we've adapted through a lot of stuff, you know? So I can I can really see that that probably, the whole thing is gonna like 
be really cataclysmic and it's going to make people change because of that. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be because we go, oh, we're all going to, you know, get off the grid and, you know. Right, let's elevate our consciousness. Right, <laughs> stop using coal or whatever. I mean, yeah. I think it's, I mean, there is that legislation that's happening, you know, which is great that there is some change, but still this idea that like, oh, well, if we electrify everything, we'll be better off. And it's like, well, there's all kinds of consequences of that too, yeah. you know. I mean, I think the big thing is that we don't, as a species, I think in general, we don't think so much about the consequences of what we do. Right, right. You know, and we don't, we, and we do these things and they're really cool when we do them, but then they have all these consequences, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we don't, I, for whatever reason, I don't think we've really been learned to do that. And I think that's where Native people have a lot of more wisdom, right? Because I think that they, do have that sensibility in their cosmology, in their mythology, and all of that is about like, well, how is what you're doing going to affect the next generations? You know? Right, right. You know, there's the, the seven generation perspective, but I think I'm sure different tribes have different ways of, of relating to that or mm -hmm. did have different ways. And, um, but I think in general, their, their perspective has that built into it. And, um, and yet, I think, you know, as a culture, they've also lost some of that, too. And so there's just those those ones that are still holding that, that I think it's important that we start paying attention. And I, and I do see that happening. I do see that people are starting to recognize, like, oh, this indigenous wisdom has something in it for us right. to help us through this cataclysmic experience, you know? Yeah, yeah. And... You know, I mean, to the point of like, you know, handing over like places for them to to manage, you know, wild spaces and, and things like that. So I do see that happening. And, you know, and I think that ultimately, I mean, I think about like, you know, Hopi who are living up on this mesa, you know, and part of that is because in their mythology, they, you know, they did things that weren't good for a long time. And so they went and just kind of put themselves into a small space and said we're just going to live like we always live like you know because because one one in one world we completely made a mess you know right, right. so we're going to just go back to living this very simple way you know and i have a feeling that that's going to end up having to be what happens to the majority of humans if they're going to survive mm -hmm. you know and i think a lot of us aren't going to survive I get that sense too. I get that sense too. And who knows what that number looks like when we right. say a lot, you know? Right. I mean, I, I feel like there's so many concentric rings of, of reality we can only extend out to, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Our local exactly. communities, our families, right. our region. Maybe we have a sense of our country, but I just, I just drove across the country, uh -huh. literally from coast to coast, and it's like so, it's huge. It so is huge. Man. It's big. It's like you, there's things happening. It's like impossible to really hold the scope, you know? And I think there's like uh, 500 people in some place on the other side of it who are like, think they've got a handle on it. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, like, right. Straight right, up, you know? Right, like, right, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, and the earth is huge too. I mean, yeah. just the whole thing is just, you know, I just, I, I don't even know like how you can grasp what the potential is you know of what's of what's happening and i mean robert talks about a lot because he's he's working on it with his students he's talk, teaching about climate change in his in his mm -hmm. in his classes and 
he's got all the numbers and the facts and then he's also got like trying to bring in the spiritual perspective and I would say that one of the things that has really helped me has been listening to Michael Mead and some of his uh -huh. stories uh -huh. you know he there's some great stories he tells and my favorite one is this there's a woman in a cave I mean I'll just tell this story because it's just so cool yeah so there's this woman in the cave and she's kind of like the mother of all beings you know and she's she's got a cauldron of soup which is like all the trees and the plants and she's you know mixing it up and keeping keeping it so that all the beings the animals and all are all safe and they're working together and they're figuring out and you know she's got this beautiful soup that she's making you know and of all the beings and then she's got this weaving that she's doing that's also weaving the world right so she's creating this beautiful tapestry and weaving of the world and it's just this gorgeous thing that she's making and she's been working on it she goes back and forth between the soup and the beans with the seeds and the you know all the eggs and the things and then she goes back and she weaves the world and she goes back and forth and she's really close to being done with this weaving and it is gorgeous you know it's like this beautiful world and she's right at the end of it you know she's just she gets up and she goes to the front of the cave to stir the soup meanwhile this dog this black dog sneaks by her and goes and grabs the thread and pulls the thread until the tapestry is mostly gone. Mm. And she comes back to her work and she's like, oh my God, stunned. It's total chaos, right? Chaos is just, the world is in chaos. And she just doesn't, she's just like, okay, well, what do I do? And so she picks up the thread and she starts weaving. And that story, you know, when Michael Mead talks about, it, he's like, what's your thread? Mm. You know, mm. there's chaos. What is your thread? Mm. You know? And what thread will you pick up? And what thread will you continue to weave? And, and, and just that whole dynamic that, like, there isn't an end. There isn't a perfect ending. The black dog is like the mystery, you know, who comes in and lets us know there is no perfect ending. Right. You know, it's this is it's a whirlwind of things and you know, there's not gonna be this like perfect world that, that gets created because there's chaos. Chaos is can, will always happen at some point, you know. And I just that story just has given me a lot of like just solace, you know. Mm. Like, yeah, we're in, it's it's a time of chaos. You know, so the only thing you can do is pick up the thread. Mm. You know, and what's your thread? And I would say right now my thread is just staying connected to nature, mm. you know, and then taking the kids out there and getting them connected. Yeah. And every once in a while I question, is that the thread I want to keep weaving? <laughs> but it just keeps happening, you know. I don't really see, like, another, you know, thread. And then I think, you know, the other thread I'm holding, of course, is my kids, you know. Yeah. And just holding them and, and giving them some sense of connection and love, you know, and trying to just encourage them, you know, yeah. and, and accept them exactly as they are. I mean, that's the other piece, you know, I feel like uh, my kids are by no means perfect, you know, and they're not like on this trajectory that like a lot of parents want their kids to be on, you know, or, or they're making their way there slowly or whatever, but it's like, how do you just accept somebody for exactly who they are? Yeah, you know? yeah. And 
to me, I feel like that's the medicine that I have to give, mm. you know, and ultimately, and I feel that even when I'm with the kids, you know, and out there in nature, like my gift is that I can hold space for you, no matter who you are, how you show up, you know, as long as you're not hurting me or somebody else, <laughs> and, uh, you know, or yourself even, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. and so I feel like that that's, you know, that is the biggest gift that I can offer. Yeah, great. All right, last question. Um, if someone listening to this was like, oh, nature connection, I don't really, that sounds like, how do you, like, wow. Right. What's, what does it mean? Yeah, what would you tell someone? How would you tell them to start? Like, what would your uh, recommendation be? Yeah, I thought about this when I saw this question under. Um, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing is like, to me was like, go for a walk mm -hmm. or notice the small things. Mm -hmm. Like don't try to start super big. Just notice the small things. Just notice the blade of grass. You know, notice, notice the bird. You know, just start there. Like, like just something small. You know, and um, when you say notice, like, what do you, what, what does that look like for you? When you notice something, what's actually right, right. So, I guess for me, yeah, it's like a, a pause, mm -hmm. right, and almost a stop, and just look. You know, and. Yeah, just observe, because sight is such a powerful thing, right? And for someone who doesn't have sight, obviously you can touch mm -hmm. and listen. And I'm sure if you don't have sight, your sense of touch and listening are pretty heightened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think it's like just being, you know, just giving yourself an opportunity to start really small and not feel like you have to be this like amazing nature connected, you know, right, right. because for everyone, I think it's a very different journey and also different feeling of what it means to be, feel connected to nature, you know? And, um, I was thinking about, I was like, well, if you're in an urban environment, you know, like for me, when I'm in a super urban environment, like San Francisco or someplace, I mean, I just, yeah, I just notice the tree that's right outside the door, you know, mm -hmm. or I notice the little, dandelion or the thing you know and I'm like seeing it and just holding it just kind of being in finding a way to be in relationship with it which doesn't mean picking it or doing anything it means just being there with it you know mm -hmm. just being like oh there's the dandelion you know yeah yeah and then walking up the road and going oh there's the this or that you know yeah and uh and feeding the birds or <laughs> you know Watching the birds, I love birds, so I find birds to be very interesting and fun to watch, and I think most people do. Yeah. I was talking to somebody about it the other day. I was like, I think there's just like something in our DNA that connects us to birds. Well, they're out there. I mean, right? They're like really the only the, creature that's like, yeah, take a look. Exactly. <laughs> Nobody else screams away. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. Uh, birds they're are like, very vocal, you know, yeah. so they're a very, very easy uh, way to just start. Right. Drawing your attention to them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, people talk about doing a sit spot, and I think, yes, sit spots are cool, but like to really keep it up and do it religiously and consistently is not easy in our reality. And I remember one point I was sitting in my, in, on my couch and this woman was talking about oh your sit spot can be I was listening to something watching something on tv or youtube and she was like your sit spot can be anywhere you know it can be your front yard da, da, da. and I looked at the window and I have a bird I usually have a bird feeder uh, birds out there so I have all kinds of birds going through it I look out the window and there's this cooper's hawk sitting on the table <laughs> and I was like 
oh yeah, my front yard is my sit spot for sure. Like I was just like, whoa. That's how you set the table with a you know napkin out. Wait for the As soon as the theater, as soon as the first come to the theater, I'm ready to eat. Right. I was like, oh my god. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was a good moment. Yeah. But and I just really resonated with that. Like, you don't have to even go outside. Really, you just look out your window. You know and have some nature connection yeah no i i would agree start where you are yeah <clears throat> you know i just feel like i'm just the last thing i'll say before we kind of wrap it up here is i i know like for me like staying fits and working out or whatever it's going to be is, is always like it it's always takes a while to kind of get it going mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then once you kind of get it going if you're really making time it's you can sustain it mm-hmm. but then you fall off it's just like starting over right and for a long for years decades maybe even i would sort of get into this thing like okay i'm gonna get back on track tomorrow and i'd hit the gym for 90 minutes and be all sore and like okay well wednesday is 90 minutes like and maybe i get two weeks out of that but it was like unsustainable right like, i just was not right. psychologically conditioned to just make room in my schedule and value that pursuit right that quickly you know and so what i've gotten into the habit of doing with pretty much anything if i'm going to start into it is like like literally with my workouts now if it's gone if i gotten off track for six weeks or a couple months and now i want to start i literally just get up i do five push-ups five sit-ups right five whatever like i literally my workout takes like less than two minutes and then there's no exertion right <laughs> you know right, but psychologically sure. i'm like i just worked out done right. day one right you know and Did i'll it. just do that for a week or so just to kind of start wedging room into my mm-hmm. schedule and mm-hmm. with as little as discomfort as possible right and eventually the body starts to want to do more because it starts to be right. like oh that feels good. Yeah, it feels good. More yeah. energy. I can do more. You know, like right. so. I, and I feel like it's the same with nature connection or anything. But it's like literally, like you, people have windows. You know, right. just like <clears throat> putting a candle on your windowsill or doing something where you're just going to draw your attention to it, just so you happen to look out more. Just notice what even like the clouds, the sky, whatever, the sun, like right. the big easy things. To me, it's so much about just the consciousness of saying, I'm doing it, even right. if it's fleeting. You know, right. I think it's yeah. huge. And just like giving yourself permission to have it be something really small. Yeah. You know, because yeah. if we put these big expectations on it, we usually don't follow through. Like you said, it's not sustainable. Yeah. You know? yeah. But if we just, something small, oh, I'm going to walk outside for five minutes. Right. You know, and yeah. just breathe the air. Yeah. Or just feel the temperature. Feel the sun. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> or whatever it is. Or feel the clouds or the rain. Or, yeah. You know. Yeah that makes a big difference. Yeah. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for sitting down and chatting. This has been great. I learned a lot about you. I think I'm going to go wild, but there's, you know, I don't think we've yeah. really ever sat down like this. No, well. no, it's fun. Here and there, but, yeah, now you yeah. know a lot about me. Yeah. <laughs> Next time I'll have to interview you. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right All right, well, um, see you around the condor course. All right. All right, folks, uh, thanks so much for tuning in and, and listening to Sarah share about her journey with Nature Connection and how it's just touched all these parts of her life. Um, I just want to say thank you for tuning in to listening to this program, to this segment. And, uh, and I hope if you're a regular listener or even a first-time listener, you're just 
you know, get out there. Get out there and be with the planet. I don't know how more simply to say it. It doesn't take that much, just as we were saying there towards the end of the program. Start small, right? Simple steps, simple, small, repeatable steps that give you a track record of success and start to build this sense of relationship with whatever you want to call it. You know, we all know how great it feels when we get out in nature on those certain days for an awesome bike ride or at the beach or a walk in the forest or catching a sunset or whatever it is. Spring day where the weather is just right and there's a good breeze. It's exhilarating, right? That's it. That's it. So just imagine creating a, you know, a lifestyle for yourself where that's something you're experiencing frequently and, and just watch how it starts to change the way you relate not just to nature but then to yourself to the people around you right because we're all nature too all right enough of that um hey check out inferno if um you're up to, if you're up to big things this year i really think that would be a great program for you to drop into um it's going to kick start the whole rest of the year off for you and give you a team of 20 men that are gonna that's are gonna be there uh, tracking you because they know what you're up to after that 12 weeks, and you know and you know what they're up to. So it's it's just a really beautiful way to support each other and men going after what they want to you know envision and create in this world. Um, and that's it. Uh, super shout out to Mark and Julian as always. Um, gosh, I mean, if you look at the the podcast, <laughs> the Rising Man podcast. Uh, geez, there's, I mean, between the different, uh, you know, there's Monday morning meditations, there's first nature, there's a uh, fam life, there's uh, just the regular rising man podcast with all the interviews that Jetty does. Whew. I mean, it's gotta be like close to 500 or 600 different uh, segments. And, um, Mark and Julian have been there for, you know, almost since the beginning, just knocking them out, putting them up, posting them up, cutting them up, making them sound good, making them look good getting the content out to you on time in a way that's um, um, fresh and fun to listen to. Or so I hope. I enjoy listening to them. So thanks to Mark and Julian for all that hard work. And um, if you're really, if you're getting something out of these podcasts, whether it's First Nature or, or the other segments, um, I know it's kind of a, you know, a thing to do, but honestly, hitting the like button, uh, leaving a comment or a review, um, really, you know, whether it's on YouTube or the, you know, whatever you're streaming your podcast on, that really helps, you know, get the logarithms, uh, algorithms, <laughs> the algorithms, woo. I'm going to stop talking in just 30 seconds. It really kicks in the algorithms of the interwebs and um, it gets this stuff uh, on, on the screen of other men. It gets it into their content streams and they get to find out about it because there's so much out there to go through. And um, it really helps if you, uh, just by you supporting us, by liking us and, you know, liking, reviewing, whatever it is, sharing, talking about it. Um, let's get those other men in contact. All right, that's it for me, Sean Barry. Thanks again for tuning in. Really appreciate it. And find out who you are inside by getting outside.